Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of VFX Lounge, where me, the host, Q Park, is speaking with people in the industry uh, related with visual effects. Uh, this is episode three. We've come a long way. We've gone through a couple of people that I'm familiar with, but today we're going to tackle somebody that you know, I'm also familiar with, but I'm sure everyone is keen to hear from. And I'm visited by Andrew Zeller. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Q. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to see you again. Again, there's a little bit of history with Andrew with Lost Voice Studios, as many of you people know. But today we're going to focus a lot on his experience in the industry, as we do with most of our guests. But also talk about the movies that he's worked on, because I feel like a lot of people that I've talked to who are listening to the podcast want to hear more about what it's, it's like to actually work on a show, what have they worked on, and all that stuff and their experience um, moving studio to studio. So, Andrew, first off, how are you doing, man? Good. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm a big fan of just podcasts in general. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to be actually on board. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I think podcast is one of those new things where people are able to just kind of be part of a conversation and feel like, you know, COVID and everything going on, people have lacked dialogue. And it's nice to hear, especially in an industry like visual effects, which has actually grown exponentially during COVID, um, to hear your insight on how things have been with you and like your uh, I know we speak a lot about the journey into visual effects and what yours was like. Yeah, and like I said, everyone's journey is very unique, mm-hmm. but exciting things too. You get to know people who are like, my background is in zoology, or my background is I was a lawyer, and then everyone sort of somehow ends up in this VFX. Right. They kind of learn from each other. Yeah, and it's just like there's a huge diversity that comes with visual effects, and it's almost like a common thing that I hear, and maybe it's true for you. Um, I've heard a lot of people that go into visual effects has been something that they want as a passion for a very long time, but kind of didn't do it because they were nervous about the industry and whatnot. Is that something that's similar with your journey into the visual effects? Yeah, I'd say so. I think I, I had the classic journey of being inspired by like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Matrix, like a lot of these big, the current VFX films. Um, and I, I love watching like the behind the scenes. That was for me like almost more interesting than the film because I'm right. see like, how did they do that? And it just looked so fun mm. being a part of that process. And it also seemed, I will say it didn't seem uh, unattainable. I felt like I could somehow get there, but I wasn't sure like which area I wanted to focus in because it all seemed so cool. Right. I, I went to presentations before that were on like sound design and then later animation, like, like 3D animation, and then later uh, model making. And all three of those were like really, really cool to me. So I was like, okay, if I can get into one of those, maybe I'll be, I'll be all right. Happy. And that just shows how vast the industry actually is with a lot of different roles, right? And that's something I talked to with the other guests is that a lot of people don't really know much about visual effects industry and that there is such a vast um, spectrum of different types of roles. And what was compositing? Why was compositing the choice out of all these things for you? Uh, that ended up, it's weird. I, I feel like I was doing compositing before I knew what it was. Mm. And I think it's like a lot of you know, the kids who are tinkering around on computers and stuff, making little movies. I sort of discovered suddenly that uh, I was using a, a program called Vegas, uh, an editor. Right. And I discovered that there was like a cookie cookie cutter filter. <laughs> and I could just like take little shapes like a star or right. a circle or something. And I could cut out a piece of footage and then replace it with something else. Mm-hmm. And so I did a little test. And I remember I was like, Okay, I'm learning martial arts. I can like do a jump kick, but if I do a jump kick off of a bucket, I don't look like I'm jumping really hot. Yeah, but like just remove the bucket. Mm-hmm. So like I did a little like, like tests like that, and then that led to like you know doing the classic lightsabers. Right, exactly. And you kind of like get a feel for for some of those things, but you like 
it's sort of something that it's a bottomless pit, right? Mm. You see things in movies and you're like, oh, how did they do that? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's been growing so much, right? Right. So that kind of led me to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And it wasn't really until, because I, I started just making films with friends. I was like writing, directing. Um, I had a friend who was a really good cinematographer. He would handle all of that. And I also edited too. And I, I just kind of found people that had different specialties and in my small town and we all kind of worked together like every summer for a film. Um, and I, I'm really thankful for that because that experience, I've met now a lot of VFX artists who never really worked on, on say like production side of things. But I actually was sort of at the top because I put myself in the right. Yeah. And they were like terrible films that would probably never see the light of day. But it was a really useful experience because I had to like manage teams of like three, five, ten, thirty people. Mm -hmm. uh, so now when I'm, I'm kind of doing like smaller things for like a larger show, I kind of put myself in their shoes. Right. Be like, oh, that's why this is like that way. Exactly. And that's why I think um, I've learned over the times that experience is always good to have, right? It doesn't matter what kind of experience it is because, you know, at the time, maybe it seemed like a bad experience, right? It seems like, oh, this is terrible. But I've learned over the time is that experience is a learning experience, almost every type of experience you have. And that's what you're talking about really here. Like how, um, you know, those projects you worked on are very silly at times, probably with your friends and stuff, but that gathered up your skill set without you even knowing and knowing that, Oh my God, I've been working on something that was actually visual effects this entire time. And it's led me to this place here. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think, pretty magical. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's something where I think initially compositing with just one tool mm -hmm. and really think of it as separate. It was just part of the filmmaking process. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of like the old school, like Thailand guys and stuff, probably, um, it was the same for them. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like, here's a problem we have to solve it. What are the tools we have available? Um, but it wasn't really until I. Um, kind of took a second chance and was like, I was doing other work. I worked in teaching and commercials. Mm -hmm. I some, did some marketing for one company and kind of discovered that that wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think even that experience was like, well, I wouldn't have known that unless I tried it. Right. Um, and so from that, I kind of pivoted and then I was kind of like, okay, where can I learn mm -hmm. and get the technical skills to, mm -hmm. to become like really valuable and be able to stay in Vancouver and work on one of these big studios. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found about Lost Boys mm -hmm. uh, and joined the, the compositing program. Right. And speaking on that a little bit about, you know, the variety of experiences you've come from, whether it's teaching, whether it was marketing, whether it was commercial work and all that, was your, what do you think was missing during that time? Was it like your, there was something that led you to those places that was, somewhat away from maybe your goals but like what was something that drove you eventually to this place called vfx compositing good question but i feel like it wasn't necessarily something was missing mm. but i i kind of feel like i had to take this journey to come back and sort of appreciate it or I understand it a little bit better mm -hmm. um but i definitely what i found through that those different jobs was i really liked creative collaboration mm. like working together with a team of people and kind of pitching ideas and seeing that idea brought to light. But right. that to me was like really exciting, meaningful. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely like, it's not always, I will say it's not always like a fun. It's not mm. like, not necessarily the idea of like, oh, you, you, you never work a day in your life. Like, yeah. I felt like I was working and mm. I still do, but it feels very like meaningful. Mm. It means something important. Mm. And it's just like that, 
interaction, I think it's, it's super fun because you, if you just work kind of alone in your room with one thing, yeah. it only gets so far. Yeah. But if you work with a team, you can really like push it further, further, further. Right. Play it all your strengths. And I think that's one of the joys about the video effects industry. And again, it, it's something that I really hope that these podcasts, um, where people learn and can hear that the, the team is massive and there's a lot of roles in this, there's little cogs in this little time you know, clock that makes this machine work and compositing is one of those cogs. And it, it is something that is required for this machine to work. And to do that, you need the teamwork. You need to be able to socialize. You need to be able to work together to complete a task. And speaking on that, then what has been your most, as we hope to be able to speak on some of your projects now, um, what was something that was most fruitful or a great experience you had that, you know, light puts light on the aspect of working as a team and what, what really put the challenge to you for that? I think, um, the thing that comes to most, to mind most recently, uh, was when I was at NLM, kind of my first show that I worked on there. It really was. I can't think of any way that it could have been better. Mm. Um, it's really a testament to like that, that particular client. Mm. The show is called uh, Lost Holly mm. and it's going to be out on in Netflix in August. Um, and it's basically like a children's book that was adapted into like, I think four episodes mm. of a show. And the, the client, he actually has like an animation background. He, he was the writer for um, uh, Kubo and Two Strings. Oh. And he, he like draws really well too. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, we kind of felt like direct interaction with him, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. We could see his reaction to shots that we worked on. Um, and the whole team just like, we all sort of got along really well. And I think because he had that very collaborative mindset, like someone like me kind of coming in, this was my first show at ILM. I feel like I actually had made like a creative impact on you. Mm -hmm. Um, that you wouldn't necessarily have on, on a lot of big shows and, right. and things like that. And, um, there were also just really great people for like mentoring and, and reaching out to. And, um, I think just, it really is something where the person at the top kind of sets that tone. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of working their way down was, was very, uh, open-minded mm -hmm. and collaborative and creative and, and, uh, that experience was super foreign. So I'm. I'm really excited for that show. I'm yeah, it, I feel like it's always nice to have a client or anybody that is, um, I guess, quote unquote, you're working for or whatever, um, understanding what you're doing, right? Because I feel like a lot of times, well, it doesn't matter just in this profession, but maybe in any other profession, you go to a specialist. And if you are also part of that same profession, you understand how the inner works are going. So the way you communicate with them will be in ways that will be digestible for both sides, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how, like you said, your experience there was so great because the creativity was forming, was, you know, freely flowing through like a river amongst all of you guys because that person who was your client had this background with them. And I feel like that's very common. And have you had a difficult time with certain uh, shows that you've worked on? Uh, I think the thing is, is like we all... You're all hesitant to share those stories. <laughs> if it's recorded. Uh, without going into names, I'd say, yeah, for sure. There's always challenges. And I think 
I will say there are clients who have like no BFX knowledge, mm. but they admit that and they're honest about that. Mm. And I think for all of us, like it's really important to be kind of upfront about that. Yeah. Um, because there are experts, right? And mm -hmm. just kind of be like, look, I don't know this or that. Mm -hmm. um, which is very hard, I think, as a junior artist, because you feel like, oh, I have to prove. You're right. Yes. But I think it's like, once you've made it through the interview and you're hired, like, we're hired, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they already gone through a selection, put you there. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to be asking like every single thing like how do I run the computer, right? Right. Um, like, yeah, I think it's really, it's really valuable to kind of share that be upfront about that and i think that's that's shed some oh, really kind of amazing light on the visual effects industry because for a really long time there hasn't been a standard for visual effects education that's something we talk about often here at lost boys and because there's no standard for education or a trust in the educational system to um create these professionals uh, of this art form um, there seems to be a very strong sense of mentorship in this industry. When you enter, there's a lot of mentors. There's a lot of people who teach you the robes. Each, each um, a studio has maybe their own software. Maybe they have their own pipeline. Of course they do. Um, and they need, require them to educate on how things work. And I find that a lot of people in the industry have these inherent mentorship, in, inherent, almost welcoming of uh, questioning because listen, this is how we learned too. Is that something that you find yourself in this industry currently? Yeah, and I think it's funny, you reminded me how uh, one of my first studios, I worked at Hydraulics, um, there were some guys there that were like kind of really old school guys mm -hmm. and had been working in like LA, Hollywood, kind mm -hmm. of like early shows when literally there was just like a handful of people that could do this kind of stuff, right? right? And at the time, like they literally had like rock star <laughs> lifestyles. Mm. They got paid so much money. And mm. it's like, there weren't any specialists that would just be like, here's something we need to fix. Like mm -hmm. this like glass breaking or something, figure out a way to, right. right? Um, and it's so interesting because like in a fairly short amount of time, it's a fairly young industry, right? It's evolved so much now where it's like much more diverse and um, the pay obviously probably isn't as good as the <laughs> best thing. Right. But because it's more competitive, right? Exactly. But at the same time, um, it's, yeah, it's really interesting because you, there's no more of that sense where it's like, oh, I know I figured out something, I'm going to keep it secret because that's my advantage that mm -hmm. get me hired. It's more like I should share something because someone else will then show me something that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I keep building like that, right? And particularly when you're in a company, you're kind of all working on the same show or potentially like similar shows or you will. Mm -hmm. And you all just kind of want the show to be done <laughs> and also be like as good as it can be. Right. So because I think you're all in the same boat, suddenly you're no longer like, oh, I have to have like the best looking shot, right? Right. If you, if you do, then everyone else's shot has to be at that level mm -hmm. and they need to figure that out. Otherwise you get all the work and you wouldn't be stormed. So, um, it kind of, I think by its very nature forces you to be kind of collaborative. Right. And that collaboration is so important because we mentioned before, there's so many roles along this massive pipeline of massive uh, people working in this industry. Well, you're a compositor, but you know, there's someone who is a 3D modeler. There's someone who is a tracker who is, you know, there's these specific niches that need to work together in a way that um, everything works and we finally get the shot done, right? And so to that extent, then, what is a shot that you worked on that was most fulfilling for you as an artist? Mm. 
Interesting so far. It's a tough question. I, I feel um, like most recently I got a chance to work on Obi-Wan. Mm -hmm. It was super exciting. Right. Because um, like the first handful of jobs that were given to me, there was a very iconic character. Uh -huh. And I was like, wow, like, this is on my computer. Yeah. No one has seen. And you said earlier that Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and Matrix were a huge inspiration for you. I mean, I think, let's be honest, a lot of people in the visual effects industry, those were the three major catalysts for their um, entering into the world of visual effects. But wow. That would have, that must be so surreal for you working on a show like Kenobi, um, because not only is it a Star Wars film, but it, it recognizes some of the old characters that we've seen for a little long time. The prequels that were iconic in their own ways. So yeah, like tell me a little bit more about that experience. It's, it's interesting because yeah, you feel, you feel both kind of pressure, right? Mm -hmm. You're a fan and you want it to be good. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're feeling like, oh, I have to make this really good. Uh, and at the same time, you you kind of just need to pinch yourself and remind yourself, like, oh, like, this is actually how I was doing this. Because, like, I, I never expected to, to sort of be in where I am now. And I think, um, to be honest, like, I got into Lost Boys and I remember feeling like, wow, compositing is really challenging. And uh, a lot of my classmates are really good. And I'm probably in, like, the Vado tier. Mm. Uh, and then we went to our practicum and I sort of felt like, oh, I, I was one of the last people picked. So I thought I'm, I'm probably not going to go very far in this. And, for, and working at Hydraulics, we didn't always have the biggest shows. It was more like kind of uh, mid-range, lower budget stuff that, that we all worked super hard to accomplish what a larger studio might be able to right. would do better in some cases. The underdog. Yeah, yeah. So it, I think it straight was everyone worked really hard. And it was a small like open space office that we mm -hmm. could kind of collaborate. Um, but it, like my first credit was I think Hardcore Henry. Mm. I've seen that in the theater and like some of it was on GoPro and mm. stuff and, and I've seen my name there. I was like, oh, that's kind of surprising. Yeah. I didn't see it. But it, it sort of felt like, oh, maybe this is the peak. Because I just sort of, I didn't expect to like where things would go. And, and then at the same time, um, I sort of ended up specializing in digital makeup and doing a lot of that type of work. And you kind of just think like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. And sort of, and then. A curveball happened and I went back to Lost Voids and I thought, okay, I'm, this is what I'm going to do now. I'll just be teaching sort of another curveball. I went back into these. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, like kind of all along the way, you, you, you kind of like, you can't really plan it out, right? You can't really predict it. I remember as a student, I was thinking like, well, I would like to work at OPC. I'd like to work at uh, Dean and I'd like to work at ILF. And it's just sort of like, Kind of making a list and, and then realizing we're going that may not necessarily have to mm. um i even was naive enough i thought like i could pick my shows like mm. i'll work on this movie yeah for me like even as a junior yeah um and then kind of moving forward i feel like that has almost become less significant to me like i did mention that obi-wan was a great show but at the same time like i really care now about the people mm. because i find that you could work on a really cool show but if you don't get along with the people or you're sort of in a foreigner not able to learn as much as you would like, it doesn't really help you in terms of that career progression, gotcha. or your, your knowledge and like, like on Lost Always having like people who are really knowledgeable mm -hmm. at the time to be like, Hey, like I'm going to open up my sphere, take a look at this, see what you think, but mm -hmm. questions are, that's, that's like invaluable, right? right? That puts you 
at such a higher level so quickly like, yeah jump into bigger shows that would be much more valuable yeah exactly and i think i've noticed that a lot with students who are graduating from this program is they do what you have just said they list a bunch of students that they want to go to it's like oh my god i want to go to this student this is the studio i want to go to and then we ask why do you want to go to that studio and they're like i don't know i just I th that's the studio i know i want to go to and they're like okay um what projects do you want to work on i want to work on this project i want to work on and at the end of the day, from what I've gathered from a lot of people who graduated and are working in the industry or, you know, are alumni for years now, all come back and say, oh, I just want to work with this lead. I want to work with this teammate of mine. Uh, I want to move to this one because of some other reason. And it's interesting to hear that because, again, I think people's definitions of what they want to pursue evolves over time. And I think it is really nice to know that... Um, you reflect those kind of characteristics that I see a lot in students, in students because I was like, oh, is this a rare occasion? But almost if every alumni is telling me the same thing, then it's almost commonplace to think that uh, the team is super important in this industry, working, socializing, because it is a teamwork thing. And to that extent, right, because people want to go to these big studios and kind of like these students have this tendency to go like, I need to go big or I failed and... Um, some decide to go to smaller studios. Uh, you've worked in both small and big studios before. What is your personal experience with that? Uh, I think, yeah, I feel also, again, fortunate that I've had both because they feel like it's a very different vibe. And for a lot of my friends who are still working in this industry today, I feel like a lot of them, what they'll do is they kind of bounce back and forth hmm. and a little bit of both. And I, I would encourage people to do that because it does, again, it, it forces you out of your comfort zone a little bit. You learn more, you network, you meet more people. Um, and you kind of discover what it is you, you like about this industry because everyone has a little a little bit different experience. Uh, I found working from home, I thought I were loved and some aspects I like, but I do definitely like being able to collaborate face-to-face like, -face with people and to like kind of feel like, hey, what's that you're working on? And then kind of go over to someone's desk and, and see. Uh, whereas with Zoom, that's a little bit trickier. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is in some of these studios, you can kind of get that vibe depending on which role you're in or which show you're in or department, right? Or, so like right now, I'm part of the training team at uh, Redefine, which is part of DNEG. So it's kind of part of DNEG's training team. DNEG is a huge company, but Redefine is a little bit smaller. And then the training team is even smaller. So it's kind of like a family within this huge company. Um, so that that is really nice. And that I, I feel like I've found a pretty good balance right now. Um, but I think the, the main difference is that when you're in a small company, you're kind of, there's more responsibility element, right? Um, so there's a little more pressure because like if one person gets sick, suddenly if all that work needs to be done by someone right. and it just goes to the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you have a little more pressure, but you have a little more chance to become an important part of the team. Mm -hmm. And sometimes more direct mentorship opportunities and um, I think these days you also have more chance to work in the studio. Yes. Some people aren't finding really valuable. I think especially as juniors. Yeah. One of the challenges there though is that you have like a studio that might be full of juniors. Mm -hmm. The seniors are like 40 for both. Yeah. And ideally you want to have at least one senior there that people can learn. Yeah. I think that that really is better to the industry. Um, so I like that aspect of small studios and that, yeah, you, you become, you get a little pressure, but you can become really like a core part of the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, and your skills, I think, can level up pretty quickly. Um, I think the big studio environment, uh, it's, it can be a, feel a little more corporate, a little more of like a hierarchy involved, a little more like red tape in terms of like trying to like do things a different way. Um, but 
you know, a lot of the things that are done in a certain way are done that way for a reason. And it's developed by really smart people. So you have an opportunity to kind of like see how things are, are treated, like the tools and stuff. Um, and of course, there's also like lots of perks, like the ILM, there's like Disneyland Pass. Mm-hmm. There's like yeah. below those. Uh, and like, yeah, but like health insurance of things of her own. Those are always important to, to look into. Um, but I think the other nice thing is that aspect of being irreplaceable kind of fades away in the baby studio. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we have the resources where if you're not able to do this, there's someone else who can. They may not even be in Vancouver. Maybe they're in Montreal or they're in India or they're like a different country, right? So they have a lot of like contingencies if something happens. So that's really convenient if you're like worried that like, oh, I need to take a time off to, to be with my kids or like go to the doctor or something like that. And you don't want any of that additional stress kind of. Um, it's very accommodating like that. Right. Uh, particularly as like a new parent, like um, yeah, very nice. And I think that's a really good point. And something that I think I tell a lot of students here when I get the chance to talk to them as they express their extreme excitement to enter the industry. And I love what Gan says all the time, which is just get in the studio first. <laughs> it doesn't matter what studio it is. And and that's one thing that we really try to make sure our students understand and value is experience rules everything learning rules everything so if you're able to go into a small studio you get the experience of what a small studio is like you get to learn about what it is to work in a smaller team on smaller projects and also have that feeling of being important or having some type of permanence in that group and then you can also move to a a bigger company afterwards and see what that's like and then you'll figure out what kind of company or what kind of studio you want to work for and i've discovered that a lot of people find their way to one that they like. Some like the bigger companies. They're like, I like the idea of being able to work from home or be able to work on bigger projects. Some like to work on these smaller studios because they want to go into work and socialize with the team that they're with and be part of something that's growing. And you just mentioned uh, recently about your work at Redefine. So I, I don't exactly know what they do, what Redefine is. If you could tell me a little bit about them, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So Redefine is actually fairly young, come, mm. uh, established in 2018. And uh, they, they're owned by, Dini is the parent company. Mm. And I think the initiative there was you want to be able to tackle what some of these smaller studios are doing. Because there's a lot of like most of the world knows they sent us off right it's a lot of streaming show right uh, but there's also like a lot of international work and there's a lot of like indie projects or art house projects that we not have the budget to work with a company like dnate right but dnate is still interested so they're like okay what if we have kind of our a separate company that tackles those projects and can kind of leverage the fact that we have this amazing pipeline mm-hmm. And all this, like, all these people, we have, like, immigration, HR, mm-hmm. full events of DNET. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we can have artists kind of devoted specifically to meet other shows and working really closely with those filmmakers. Right. Um, so that's why, first thing I find it really exciting because it's in, like, a very kind of niche area and it's in a very big growth stage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, like, hiring a lot, growing a lot. Uh, and they're a little more flexible, I would say, right? Because, like, we talked about, like, studios that have been around for years and years and years very established ways of doing that uh-huh. and it's hard to suddenly just switch that mm. so a company like redefine can kind of build off of that and be like, well what's like a if we only have like a week to do this let's just try a different way mm, yeah and, um, like just everyone throw different methods at it gives them the freedom to try out different things yes. 
Um, so that that's kind of it. Um, I know they actually also work from Only One. The food are funny. Yeah. Um, they, they work from another studio that I thought would be the only one working on. Yeah. So they worked on too. Uh, they worked on Halo as well. Right. Um, they were recently, I think they worked on three episodic projects, one feature, and they're even developing a story for their own IP. Oh, or wow. Kind of like a little more experimental. God, that sense. Yeah. It's it it's nice to hear that, you know, these bigger studios like Dinek, a very big studio, is willing to go to those lengths of experimenting. Well, there are certain things that small studios do. Let's try that out as well. Let's do our little thing here and see if we can do it and see if there's any way we can make it more efficient. And that's really cool that, you know, you've mentioned that your journey has been going through this smaller studio, big studio, teacher, all this stuff. And then it's Really nice to hear that you found this niche area that almost blends everything together because you, it, it's almost in the middle, right? It's a small studio that has the support of a big studio and you are back in your seat as a trainer, correct? Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like the redefined offices are shared by DMEX. Mm. I'm still like, I work in the DNA office and mm. also from home a bit. And I'm also working with the DNA trainers. Right. The distinction kind of starts to blur a little bit. Right. It's the training department. Um, but that's really great for everyone, right? Because we can all kind of just share that knowledge mm. and work together. And yeah, I found a, one way I would sort of describe it is when we had sort of an initial meeting where I got kind of narrow training team. And it's sort of North America. So it's like Montreal, Toronto, London, Vancouver, LA, sort of all these spots. Yeah. We're all in a meeting and everyone was kind of introducing each other or each introducing themselves. And I noticed that chat box was kind of pretty active. Almost everyone was throwing like little jokes. So they're essentially, okay, so all the trainers, we're all sort of like the naughty kids in school. <laughs> yeah. Even though we're teachers, we're all kind of like the ones that would mess around. <laughs> and that felt like very familiar and comfortable. Like, okay, this is like a very like professional, but also relaxed and fun yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, and I found that to be true like throughout so far. Right. Ed. I think one big takeaway that I'm gathering from you is to embrace experience, right? Embrace the journey that you're being taken on because, you know, you don't have to know where you're going. Just embrace where it's heading, right? And that's led you to, I think, a very fitting position that you've been looking for. And that's really exciting. I mean, you've been able to accomplish in a short period of time after, you know, teaching at uh, Lost Boys, teaching a bunch of students and then heading into the industry at ILM working on Kenobi, which was, has been, again, I want to talk about Kenobi later for sure. Cause I've been watching it and it's been, it's been a ride, but one thing that I wanted to mention really quickly is that through this journey that you've been on, um, the industry of visual effects has been growing so rapidly and people are noticing visual effects a lot more. Maybe it's because of the growth of social media and having more access to media constantly. What has your opinion on people's critiques on visual effects? I think it's interesting because I feel like it's a bit like coffee. Mm. Like if you don't drink coffee, you kind of don't care. Every once in a while, sure, McDonald's coffee, Starbucks coffee. It's, right. They're not sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> uh, I wish they sponsored that. My family and my wife, she she got like a really nice coffee machine at home now. And as a result, like... Other coffee now, she's like, oh, I don't want to have that mm, coffee. Yeah. I think it is the result of we're so saturated in our visual effects. Mm. Like everything we watch that we get more sophisticated, a, a little more like choosy and really mm. um, So part of it is just that we're more used to seeing it and we can kind of pick out things. 
because um, you don't even need to work with it to spot something that doesn't quite work, right? You may not know why, but it's like that looks a bit off. And I think the other thing too is that we're the stories that are being told are more ambitious, right? Mm. Um, because like if you try to include like a dragon in your show, it's very hard to do a full realistic dragon because we know that there are dragons. Yeah, absolutely. And so like compared to something like, I don't know, um, Forrest Gump, the ping pong ball, mm. classic example from years ago, still was pretty photo real, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's because we're not expecting a ping pong ball. Okay, we're not really looking for that. And it's a much simpler object to do. Right. So I think it's a, a mix of those things. Mm. Um, but like, I, I think it's a, like, I don't have any complaints about it. I think yeah. people are welcome to, to yeah, that. critique it um, because it's, you know, it keeps us uh, pushing for, you know, care our quality stuff. Exactly. And I think that's a really good point that you make. And something I want to emphasize to anyone that's listening is that visual effects isn't just Marvel. It isn't just these fantastical things that, again, we cannot, we have to go above and beyond for those kind of things because it's creative. Those the things don't exist. Those dragons don't actually exist. We can reference maybe reptiles and stuff like that to try to get it as close to what we can be. Well, those are still fantastical creatures. And I want to make sure people understand that visual effects and things that you guys have taught me is that visual effects is everywhere. And if you do not notice that something went, something has been done on the shot, then the artist has accomplished his goal. And it's hard to do those things with things that are real. But if I can tell you right now, anything that you've watched, a lot of those things are not filmed in the location that you're saying. It says that it's located in Boston. It's most likely filmed in Vancouver somewhere. And everything there has been, you know, sign replacement, uh, set extensions, and all these things that you don't believe is possible is what an artist has done great. So me personally, when I see people critiquing visual effects and stuff like that, um, I feel put themselves in this context of thinking that it's only these fantastical things and trying to make it as, um, you know, a justification for, for storytelling or whatsoever like that. But at the end of the day, if you didn't notice that this actor was DH, if you didn't notice that this uh, sign was replaced, then visual effects has done a great job in accomplishing a narrative for the story, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's another thing too, is that we're, we're essentially storytellers, right? And I think strengthening that scale is also really valuable for artists today because we're starting to get a little more technical, a little more focused on that. And there's a critique too that we, our films are less focused on story as all in some cases too. But I think it is like, it's really part of that because it's not just about making an image that is like pixel perfect. It's also about like, well, how does this help serve the story, right? It's just, is this like furthering the narrative of, mm-hmm. uh, and rather than just you know, making a pretty image or something that looks scientifically accurate. Mm-hmm, yeah. You have to kind of find that balance of like, okay, it looks photoreal, but also looks beautiful or mm-hmm. artistic or kind of fits the mood of the story, but also helps kind of push the story forward or right. develop the character or something. Yeah. And it's all working together as a storytelling purpose, right? Everyone plays a role in creating this story. I mean, I recently watched something about how impactful lighting is in um, movies. Yeah. Like lighting, just one angle different, it can completely like mean something else. One might be a very solemn kind of sad environment, but just one movement makes it a very happy scenario. So there's so many little niches that go on in filmmaking that uh, play into the role of story. And um, to that extent, right, like Kenobi, 
this is a this is a very nostalgic movie for or TV series for a lot of people. And you know, I've watched it again. I don't want to spoil it. I, I mean, I guess I can spoil it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's only been four episodes, but I, I'm assuming you've watched it too, right? I'm only in two episodes in. So uh, yeah. So I can't spoil it for you as well. But, you know, I just wanted to speak directly about that kind of aspect of nostalgia, right? A lot of movies have been playing on this role of nostalgia recently because, you know, was it necessary? Maybe not, but I feel as though visual effects with the technologies that we've had, we've been able to replicate a lot of nostalgia, maybe like remastered or something to kind of elevate the story that once wasn't able to be accomplished because of technology limiting us. Um, and you mentioned something about we're becoming more, a lot more ambitious with our, the way our storytelling is. Do you think there's a danger in that? Danger in what? Danger in like, just going crazy with uh like going so away from the photo reel that it might cause confusion or trouble or do you think it's okay to be that ambitious and to go with that extent i think contextually well to answer the question i think that if i was a student and I'm making a reel i would generally try to go more photo reel in mm -hmm. a lot of cases because that oftentimes is our starting point right absolutely is it, it's hard to get it or but it is a little bit easier than choosing something or coming up with something that, you know, an art director of 10, 20 years of experience would also create. Yeah. Like to build your eyes at that level is actually quite difficult. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of times we start there and then the next step is like, okay, we'll try some different versions, uh, kind of developing different looks that are, are kind of pleasing and like help that story. Again, try to fit in that movie. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of like show that to the client and they kind of can give feedback back and forth. Um, I actually think that I remember going to a talk at the farm about the new, uh, the Gary Poppins returns mm -hmm. frames for work on that. And he talked about how it was actually really hard to find artists who had the right skill set for that movie mm -hmm. because they weren't going for photo reel. Yeah. They were going for a very kind of. Dialogue, dialogue mm -hmm. view that kind of appealed to again that kind of nostalgia of mm -hmm. Disney film, and um, you know doing just kind of like yeah like more dreamy, dreamlike stuff, mm -hmm. um, kind of for real. But again, like even the map that they built of London mm -hmm. was, was physically not accurate, mm -hmm. and they had to play with it in order to make it look. Yes. Um, so that was, I think, uh, something was that I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. That you kind of a lot of the artists they get. So used to doing this photo real aspects that they're not as well trained in the artistic side. Mm. So I do recommend, like especially for young people, try to develop both. And the only way you'll do that is to look at both. So you want to study like documentaries. You want to study like you know nature shows. You want whatever you're trying to kind of recreate. Look at use Google. It's your friend. Not again, not a sponsor. <laughs> but yeah, look for real reference. Look for slow motion explosions that are actually real. But then also look at these right and see like okay. Which, which of these effects really stood out to me and, and why? Yeah. I think it's really important that you mentioned that make sure you're honing both your technical and creative eye because, you know, being able to accomplish something at a very high technical level is very impressive and much wanted. But to go even further with the way that, you know, we've just mentioned how movies are moving and televisions are going in a much more bold storytelling, which I think is quite welcoming because, I mean, um, 
it's it's innovative and technology has allowed a lot of people to tell stories that they weren't able to or weren't able to accomplish because of the limitations that they were having. So being able to have that creative eye to kind of imagine what with the skills that you have of photorealism and, and what actually works in physics would happen in this space, what would in this new uh, planet, on this new story, this new world. And what would this kind of creature move like if it was real? Like, what is it kind of relating to? And I think that brings us to the point of references, right? Always having a reference to what you do. And it's always welcome to always look at what can you relate this to in the real world? What can you reference to? Because the closer you are to reality, or at least as close as you can get, you are going to be able to tell a better story for the people to digest because they need to see something that is relatable. Like as soon as you do something that's so beyond the physics, everyone will kind of click out and be like, okay, that was really fake. That was really not reeling me in. But that's why things like Lord of the Rings, things like Matrix, things like Star Wars have done such an impressive job in capturing the audience's attention. Like when I watched Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh my God, how did they do this? How did they do this crowd simulation? That's like, how did they do it so well in that time period where technology was still not at its point where it could really efficiently do this? But now we got one person doing that entire sequence, right? Like they can do that simulation very well. Um, and that brings me to my next point. You've mentioned that you've gone have done a lot of episodic and movie feature stuff. Episodic stuff and versus movies. Is there a, and has there been any difference between the two? Like in terms of workload, has it been like, I'm very curious because we have been moving in a direction where there's a lot of TV episodes more. People have gone through miniseries more often than movies, big blockbuster movies. And you've experienced both types. And what has that experience been like? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I worked on, when I was at Vitality, student father, the digital makeup DJing work. Um, I worked on almost all films except for one show. And it was a TV show. Um, I think no one really watched <laughs> called The Family. Mm. And it was kind of like a story of this kid who goes missing. Mm. Or if they had to do shots of the actors of when they were younger. And I remember most of the people I had worked with, because we had just come up with another show that took like five months. And it was a lot of work mm. and people took a lot of like vacation time and I was kind of afraid to take vacation, um, which I realized now was probably a bit silly, yeah. but the one advantage I got out of it was we were just a much smaller team and the, the client on that show was also like, so appreciative, just like, oh, this is free. We love it. <laughs> but they, they were really expecting, I think maybe the caliber of work that mm. we were able to do. Um, and that was, again, felt really nice because not every client is like that. And also I had a little more freedom because I, I wasn't, it was just me like in charge of certain shots. So I got to kind of just make sure that, okay, this person now looks like the age that we want them to look like. Um, and that was really nice. You have a little less time typically for shows. Um, but that was sort of like at the end of an era, right? Because now we have like, it's not really for TV, it's for screaming, right? Mm. And the inter in interesting thing is, I would say after Game of Thrones, now everyone expects Game of Thrones quality right. shows, right? Yeah. So you have this weird challenge of like, well, we need to like accomplish like feature level visual effects, but for a TV budget or for a TV schedule. Thing. Right. So everyone's kind of on that boat now in that same struggle. And honestly, now I feel like 
like working on Obi-Wan, for example, like it, it really just felt like working on, on a movie. It didn't feel any different. Um, because I think, yeah, we had a little more time to work on it, although it was also like, really tough. Um, I, one thing I can say for that show is the artists were super hard on it. Right. Um, and that's why you kind of actually see a lot of studios came to kind of help out Island. Yeah. There's just a lot of shots and a very limited time to um, I remember when they announced that, uh, oh, instead of Wednesday, it's coming out on Friday. Yeah. And I was like, is that for us? <laughs> that's because we need to have one Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. But like, even if video comes out to make that announcement, yeah. oh, thanks, you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was like, uh, yeah, it was just a lot of work for that show to get done. Um, but hopefully people like it and then it shows. Yeah. And I think, you know, it goes back to the idea that a lot of people who entered this industry are a lot of fans of Star Wars and they want to make sure they do right by the show and they have a somewhat of a stake in it. And to be able to see a show that I think have been, have been doing a really good job, um, especially all the visual effects shots and it have been really fantastic. And mm. I, you know, great job <laughs> to you and your team and everyone who's worked on it. And I always like to end this show with um, a question to my uh guess and what is one advice that you would give to people who want to enter this industry whether it is through uh, school or whether it's through just uh finding their way into the industry what is an advice that you would like to give them i think um there's a lot of things i can think of but um one thing i found was as i said like you can't really plan your career path exactly you can kind of like have a goal and try to reverse engineer that. But I would say be open to other opportunities. Um, I remember I was debating if I should go and do this role as a VFS trainer for Redefine. And I wasn't sure, right? Because I felt like, well, will this make me seem like I'm not committed to compositing and, and um, how will that sort of look in the long, long-term scheme of things? But I found actually, it actually sets me apart a little bit because now I'm the compositor who also did this, right? I was training for a while and it allows me to kind of get out a little bit and, and see other departments, learn other programs. Um, and I'm really fortunate because I get to work with like, we call them HODs, head of the departments. So it's literally like the top of the department. It's like, there's a lead supervisor, and then there's head of department. There's like one person who just like manages all of for all of light in this location. And I get to hear, I get to be in meetings with them and hear like, what are all the problems they're facing? So that's something I would probably never get as a cover, but it really gives me an insight into like how projects get done right and then what challenges people are facing so i would say just kind of don't feel like you have to follow like my path or any other guest path like kind of you know see where the winds take you look for look for areas where responsibility is available because that's where opportunity is right mm. like it may not be something that people want to do they're like oh i don't want to work on another fast and furious reasons but that might actually be a really good opportunity right mm. so if I, if I wouldn't i wouldn't like push it away right away mm. Then I would also say, from what I learned in this experience, a little bit of advice is um, obviously choose a good school. But even if you're not in a good school, like for example, in DA, we know Fosfors is a good school. <laughs> um, but we also look out at like people from other schools. And if there's someone with an amazing reel from a school that we know is not very good, that person looks really good. Right? Mm. It's like, wow, they made it to the And the same thing with studios. Like if they're in a studio that doesn't really do great work. But the real looks amazing. It's like, okay, we need to talk to this person. Right? Mm. Um, and when you're creating your reel too, like, don't think of it as a short film. Think of it just as like a compilation of different 
challenges that you face. Go, go beyond tutorials. Everyone's seen for it, right? Show that you can think out of the box and solve problems. Um, and, and finally, keeps, keeps some storytelling aspect to it. So it's not like, why, why is this happening? There's a robot falling from the sky yeah. it's on fire and it's dancing. Like, like what's the story here? Right? <laughs> you don't want to get them asking those questions. You want them to kind of look at it and you kind of destroyed lighting, right? Yeah. Maybe there's a character creeping out from behind a former and the lights slowly reveal their yes. like things that we would see in movies mm. that are familiar, but maybe have a little different take on it mm. from those types of things that really stand out and people excited. Yeah. But I want to work with that person. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic advice because again, it's really important for those who are trying to enter this industry um, is to not set yourself apart in the wrong way <laughs> because there's a lot of people who are trying to do very ambitious things um that aren't let's say cohesive it, it doesn't make sense um that's not necessary but i think what you're saying which is really good advice is that of course you can do all these tutorials but try applying what you've learned from that and try something else try something new use that same type of knowledge that you've got about like a sign replacement and try it with the new new shot and try like show how you did there and what kind of things you've done differently because everyone can do the same thing that's been seen in a tutorial but can you apply what you've learned there to something else and that's a really good advice moving into the industry and again globally that was an amazing advice to give is to make sure ultimately you focus on yourself focus on what where the wind takes you and enjoy the ride and that to that extent guys make sure to watch Kenobi Andrew and his team has worked on it and check out Redefine. Again, I haven't heard of them ever before. Um, again, they're very new. seems like there's a lot of exciting opportunities there for a couple people out there. So if you want to work with Andrew, who is an amazing trainer and amazing person to work with, make sure to be uh, check them out and look for him. So Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. I always want all my guests to come back because, again, I'm very fond of you guys and to have you back would be great and maybe talk more about um, other things that happen down the road sure a little more controversial story <laughs> controversial study hopefully yeah <laughs> yeah anyways guys thank you so much for listening into this third episode of the vfx lounge we're gonna try to have these more often once a week is our strategy right now and if you guys want to hear more or have someone that you guys want on the show please let us know but anyways thank you so much andrew and i'll see you again thank you take care bye